0: What up y'all it is edward at origins 2019 it is sunday sitting down with a designer that a lot of you guys out there know even if you don't know you know his dad's name a lot more so than his but we're hoping to change that so i'm sitting down with matt ecklin so matt thanks for taking the time today i appreciate it and we're here to talk pax transhumanity so okay the PAX series. I think a lot of people that are listening to this are familiar with whether it's PAX Profuriana, PAX Ren, PAX Premier, etc. But this is this is your game in this. So, tell folks about PAX Transhumanity.
1: So, PAX Transhumanity is a game in the, in the PAX line. I wasn't involved in some of the previous PAX uh, PAX designs. I designed PAX Profuriana. I was a very much a backseat designer on PAX Renaissance, uh, but um, I was not. Uh, Terribly involved in Pax Pamir, which by itself has gone on to uh, great and amazing things. <laughs> so, uh, but Pax Trains Humanity is uh, intended to be the next, the next in the line. Uh, Pax games traditionally take place in a very um, uh, specific historical time and place. Right. Uh, this game uh, expands the particular time and place to be the entire planet and uh, uh, space and the particular time being somewhere in the future, 50 years or so, 30 to 50 years. Near future, right? Yes. Okay. Uh, It's a game about near future technology development. The the main word we use to describe it is non-dystopian. So it is... uh, Novel, first off. uh, Because everything's always dystopian in the future, like everything's so bleak. Yes. uh, There's lots of games about zombies and nuclear war and apocalypses and all these things. But believe it or not, there is a chance that humanity (laughs) will survive the next 50 years. Right. uh, Different people can argue about what those odds are. I would consider myself to be an optimist in in that regard. Uh, I, I would argue that uh, humanity's better off now than it was 10 years before and 10 years before that, no matter what, uh, uh, what uh, you may see on the news or things like that. I think by objective uh, gauges, uh, we live longer. We do more impressive things, and, and, and uh, humanity is more impressive now than it was 10 years ago. And I think that'll carry on into the future. And assuming uh, that things don't go horribly wrong, and that I am and I'm wildly off base, <laughs> we will continue to innovate and invent and uh, uh, build new, neat discoveries that will change uh, the change the way people live and interact with each other. Uh, that's primarily what the game's about. You, uh, as players, are going to be uh, individual financial investors. And part of the game is going to be managing your financial circumstances. Now, uh, the different PAX games uh, all have different financial systems that are sort of specifically designed to focus on their uh, particular time period. So PAX Porfiriana, uh, which is a game that involves um, uh, really foreign intervention into Mexico and uh, exploitation of, of Mexico, you can build these vast fortunes or you're, or it can be deep in debt or things like that and you're tracking individual uh, dollars in that game. In PAX uh, Premier, uh, it's a closed money system. Um, once again, that's Cole Worley's game, but uh, it's a closed money system to represent that the, this was relatively clo- a closed market circumstance and the money goes in and the money comes out and that money goes into someone's pocket who may uh, stab you in the back the very next turn. Um, Sounds about right. In PAX Renaissance, the money was all directly placed into uh, the different markets and you had to build sort of trade routes to collect and harvest that money. But in PAX Transhumanity, you're gonna be managing a financial board and you're gonna be using uh, agents, which are cubes, and you're going to maneuver those agents. You're gonna move those agents along your financial board to generate money to do actions. So while the game is about being a business person, the game is about using money to accomplish tasks, it is not a game about amassing some giant fortune uh, um, or counting up your dollars at the end of the game to see who wins. It's a game about trying to uh, make sure that your company stays in as good enough a financial circumstance to get the job done, to to, uh, innovate new ideas commercialize those ideas get them out into the world and solve human problems novel idea like seriously there's a lot of positivity that I actually feel
0: in this game even though obviously we're all capitalists and we're all trying to stay healthy from a business standpoint but it's also for the betterment of mankind
1: in general. Yes, so to win the game, you score points by solving humanitarian problems. You score points by removing barriers that are uh, interfering with business and starting new businesses, especially businesses that might be in uh, new spheres. There's four spheres in the game. Uh, Two of them sort of start active and is where most of the play starts. That's the developing world uh, and the first world. However, as the game progresses, uh, the card rows will progress into uh, the cloud or out into outer space. And, you and can, by the cloud, you mean like a cloud computing type cloud. That's right? exactly right. So in the near future, I mean right now, I mean I can email you wherever you are on the planet. Uh, uh, and that's the thing that happens and people can Skype call to each other and we have a certain level of connectivity. However, that's gonna dramatically increase over the next 30 years. Uh, you know, right now, I'm sitting at a table with you here in Columbus, Ohio, and we're having this interview because I'm sitting at the table here with you in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, 30 years from now, that may not be a thing. I mean, we, we we may literally be interacting in a very similar way where we are sitting at a table. It's just the table is a bunch of uh, uh, zeros and ones in some uh, holographic computer bank somewhere. Um, and uh, we would be having a very similar interaction. Um, uh, and the cloud sphere in the game really represents a breakdown of sort of... Um, traditional identities, so uh, people right now, they consider themselves to be part of their nation or part of their state or part of their neighborhood. things that are associated with their geographical location. Uh, uh, This game predicts, or certainly predicts that that it's definitely possible that that's gonna break down and that more business will be done not face-to-face transactions, but online directly with individuals as though they were face-to-face transactions. That's exciting, and then there's actual space stuff. Yes. Well, there is very. Look, I started this game, uh, designing this game, maybe three years ago, and I feel like every single week, some card that's in the game suddenly, you know, that I thought was going to be 30 years from now is suddenly right around the corner. <laughs> we have uh, private businesses right now launching, uh, uh, launching in the oh. space. Something that when I was a kid was almost uh, was almost Unheard impossible right, to imagine. Yeah, sure. Right. Uh, uh, and, and you know, here we are, 25 years later, and we have multiple space businesses competing over contracts to try to deliver uh, payloads uh, into orbit. That is also gonna continue to increase. There's huge barrier costs associated with trying to get into orbit and actually do business in orbit. Uh, This game, space is the furthest off place to get to. It has the most barriers in the game. It costs the most to try to do business in space in this game versus the other spheres, Uh, however, there is a there's a lot of opportunity there. It, once you get started, once you get out of Earth's gravity well, uh, there are lots of interesting and amazing things you can do. There's just a lot of problems you got to solve to get there. Uh, space debris, human atrophy, radiation, and then the the big ones is the actual literal cost, uh, the rocket equation of trying sure. to lift mass out of Earth's uh, out of Earth's gravity well, uh, or shrink things so small. Uh, through miniaturization that a single rocket launch can carry up as many uh, little uh, uh, CubeSats, for example. SpaceX launched a rocket just a couple weeks ago that had 60, you know, individual satellites on it that slowly unfurled and distributed to... to That's just the first of many launches. There's lots of ways to solve these problems. The game uh, has some of the more uh, out there and advanced ones, but that's uh, part of the deal is is that maybe, and it's up to the players really to see how this plays out, but maybe space is where the game ends and where where we go. But not
0: necessarily. Now, when we we were going over it a couple days ago, you were explaining things and both Jess and I were like, wow, this kind of has a bit of a Porfiriana feel to it, for those that are familiar. Can you can you give a little bit of context
1: yeah, for so, everybody? So, Impact's PAX Porfiriana, um, that was a political game. I uh, Phil designed Lords of the Sierra Madre, which was an economic game, which took place in the exact same time period, and um, uh, was a very uh, interesting and amazing game, and a game that I played a lot as a kid, and a, a game that really inspired me. Um, Pax Porfiriana was my attempt to modernize uh, modernize that original game uh, uh, with um, uh, Sport of Jim Goot, who's a co-designer. Um, it was an attempt to translate these sort of deep historical issues into a more palatable card game that that could be played by by. I hesitate to say normal human beings, but maybe that's, maybe that's the right term. Yeah,
0: I, it's more right than it's not,
1: I get it, yes. And and one of the ideas in that was this regime concept where, uh, where the politics could shift very suddenly and put a player in a position to win who moments ago was not, and that you're collecting points in particular colors uh, to try to achieve those ends. Now, the PAX games in general all follow Uh, really, the only things they have in common are really two fundamental things. One, that there's a marketplace of ideas. So there's a lot of cards that are generally historical in nature and are interesting and diverse and have their own sort of uh, angles and aspects to them. Uh, And that uh, two... You're, it's an unstable endpoint in the game, so that uh, there can be big swings based on points being scored that only count under particular circumstances. But so, all that being player-driven. All of it being player-driven. So, um, and none of that taking place. You don't determine victory until somewhere in the back half of the deck. Right? I right. think that's generally true for all the PAX right. games. So, um, the point being that in this in this game. There's four spheres, right? So I mentioned that there's the, the first world, developing world, cloud, and space. Now maybe humanity is going to pursue one of those four futures. And those are, in impacts transhumanity, associated with particular disciplines of technology. So in the first world, I have that associated with transbiology. This is genetic engineering, life extension, cloning, things like that. For the developing world, I have that associated with uh, uh, group dynamics, which is social reorganization, uh, new ideas of applying technology to governments uh, uh, and things like that. I think that type of uh, technology is most important in circumstances where you have billions of people. I mean, this, this sphere represents India China, primarily uh, emerging economies and emerging places where these big technologies are going to be adopted uh, uh, over time, you're going to have to find a way to organize people uh, so that they don't revolt or uh, uh, or have other issues about right. it. Right. The cloud is associated with uh, computing in my game. There's a lot of issues with uh, with the cloud even right now. There's bandwidth bottlenecks. There's uh, ID security issues. Um, uh, hackers and, and, and all sorts of stuff that would need to be solved, but that's associated with that sphere. And finally, assembly, which is nanotechnology I have associated with space. But the point is, if you're scoring points in these individual spheres, maybe that's solving humanitarian problems, addressing things like pollution, global warming. Those are primarily going to score you points in the uh, developing world. If you want to solve aging and infirmity and mental health issues, that's going to help you in the first world. If you're going to solve those hackers and figure that that whole situation out, that's going to help you in the cloud. Uh, You're going to score points in a particular sphere. You're going to be able to manipulate the game state to to have humanity go the way you want them to go and win the game.
0: Much like in Porphyriana, where you're manipulating the political sphere, it's very similar, different, but it has that feel to it to where that's kind of what you're the big picture what you're trying to do
1: that is not a coincidence
0: all right (laughs) so like so when we were going through it um you uh, we had mentioned that wow this really does have a legitimate Porfiriana feel to it but the like the market row it's not a constantly uh conveyoring market in this game.
1: Yes, so uh, some differences from other PAX games, in as much as that this game has a a research action that's required, someone has to do a research action which gives them a bunch of benefits but it's also gonna recharge a particular row of cards, I should say column of cards in PAX Trains Humanity. So uh, there will be gaps, and those gaps in the rows as things get commercialized, in other words, as a card gets removed from from the market and actually becomes part of humanity's progress. From an idea to an actual viable thing, yes. right? Uh, a product, a solution, a, a something like that, which is not guaranteed for any of the ideas in the game. Um, it's gonna leave gaps behind, and players can use those gaps in different ways. You can import cards, you can move them from one column to other columns to, to open up opportunities. Um, certain cards allow you to jump to other cards that would be more expensive above them, um, but, Gaps also represent research potential. In other words, if there's a lot of gaps in a column, then a research action there is gonna expose more new cards. More new novel ideas that no one looked at, thought about, or ever thought might be a good idea are suddenly gonna appear in the marketplace. And that's kind
0: of that conveyor aspect, but it's not as innate as is in a lot of the other PAX games, to where it's an actual action that is going to trigger things. It's not going to happen in and of itself.
1: Right. from a, from a purely logistical standpoint, it's somewhat helpful. It's very, it's very easy to forget to, to drop your rose and uh, porphyry on it. That was one thing that always sort of bugged me, but things like that. But I, I've actively tried to remove some of the overhead in the game. So keeping track of a whole bunch of individual chits is no longer necessary. Money is simply the movement of, uh, movement of blocks. There's no change. You're not getting any change in this game uh, uh, and things like that. Um, we, we've, we've taken steps to try to clean up some of the other aspects of the pre, of Porfiriana to make space for the new ideas and trains humanity. And this includes the idea of tableaus. So Pax Porfiriana is a straight I mean is a straight tableau builder. Right. You buy a card from the market. You play it in your tableau. You do some crazy stuff, and you see if you can try to win. Uh Transhumanity, you do not have player tra- tableaus in a traditional sense. You do have space for a single card in what we call your think tank in the game, but that's really your secret laboratories where you have <laughs> commandeered some particular idea and only, and only you can use it. Um, but other than that, your tableau is going to be the cards that you've syndicated, in other words, that you've made small investments in in the marketplace. And just because you make a small investment in a card in the marketplace does not mean that other players cannot do the same. And so there may be circumstances where a powerful ability comes out into the market and someone goes and syndicates it and then someone else, after paying a penalty, can go syndicate it themselves and then those two players will both have the benefit of that particular card. Now, uh, that sort of represents a competitive advantage, so an early adopter of that particular technology, but it's not gonna be a permanent game state. That card is eventually gonna either fall out and become basic research or patents or something, or it's gonna be commercialized and given to the whole world, and now the whole world, Adds this particular novel idea and so it's no longer a competitive advantage and the ability is no longer in the game. Um, so that's those are some of the ways that we've tried to um, take some of the imposing overhead out of Porfiriana to make space for some of the new ideas in Transhumanity.
0: And I want to be clear to people this is not Pax Porfiriana 2.0. This is very much its own animal. It looks nothing like it and the mechanisms in the game are completely new and unique. It just had some aspects of it that felt familiar, but it very much is its own animal.
1: Uh, he, I I honestly think that the PAX games have done an excellent job of maintaining their own identity across these things. When, when we originally considered try, uh, having a, even a second PAX game after, after Porfiriana's uh, uh, somewhat unexpected success, um, Uh, we thought, well, hey, we'll use the exact same market, we'll use the exact same money system, we'll use the exact same income cube system, we'll use the exact same all these other things. it didn't work. It works for Porfiriana, it doesn't work for uh, Premier, it doesn't work for Renaissance, it doesn't work for these other games. Right. We had to abandon, we had to abandon all that stuff to be able to preserve the, the historical aspects that we wanted to focus on for those particular games. Cole did a brilliant job in Pax Pamir of doing that. Phil did a brilliant job in that in uh, Pax Renaissance. Um, uh, and I hope to match those, uh, those, those successes with Transhumanity. Well, I will say this, that even though we haven't had a chance to play it, we saw it a couple of days
0: ago and then Cole did play it uh, that evening and had some very, very, very uh, uh, gracious things to say about it. He's excited about it, said he really enjoyed it, which that's high praise. I mean, obviously, you and Cole are friends. Again, we are as well. Um, but there, there's plenty of room in this series for different ideas. And you guys have gone in completely different directions with your games, even though they're both within the same series.
1: Yeah. Uh- yeah, I would I can't speak for Cole but I, I would I would generally agree with that statement I'll mention regarding this whole cloud thing uh, this convention is the first time I've met Cole face to face to face, face as I mentioned I, I haven't left Tucson you know I, I, I uh, corresponded with him during the development of Pax premier which I was not directly in, in, involved in, right. in a meaningful way but um, but I certainly monitored uh, Pax Premier's uh, progress and we play tested some of the, some of the early uh, uh, states of that game. Um, and uh, I've always admired and uh, been. I think I wrote an article in Board Game Geek saying that Pax Pamir was the savior of Pax Renaissance, which was really a competing design at the time, but had almost fallen apart completely before Cole solved the uh, the board state issue of having units not be associated directly with cards. Um, uh, I, I think that really saved Renaissance's design for Phil, but. Um, I suppose that's neither here nor there because there's, uh, there's no traditional board in tra- packs Transhumanity. <laughs> right, no right. units that we're tracking and things like that.
0: No, it, and it's awesome. I mean, it was, it's was it been cool to be able to sit down and, and kind of see uh, you and Cole and Phil and Yoon and everybody that's involved in all of these processes with all these different games and across different companies all playing games together and hanging out and sitting here and just being gamers, right? And ultimately just cuz let's face it, yes, you're designing games and yes, you know, you're helping out here and there uh, with other other games. But ultimately we're all gamers, we all wanna right. play games, right? Absolutely. So, awesome. Uh, so, time frame, I mean, I know this, but go ahead and tell folks uh time frame that they're looking at for PAX Transhumanity.
1: Okay, my My understanding is, uh, once again, me being not a business guy or a uh, logistics guy or any of that stuff, but my understanding is that this game is going to be shipping late August or early September, but certainly would be uh, available uh, by the time of S and then October. October. Yep. Um, Kickstarter's already completed. However, I believe the uh, the online pre-order, which is on the Sierra Madre Games website, this is this was a um, this is an Ion Games and Sierra Madre Games uh, um, venture. But I believe the pre-order is on the Sierra Madre Games website right now. Uh, is still open for till June fifteenth or something. like All that.
0: All right, so you get you have a about a well a couple of days. Yeah, I don't. Or I don't or be. hopefully by the time this comes out, you may have a day or today. <laughs> so if this sounds interesting, check it out. And we're going to be doing a live stream, of Pax Transhumanity ahead of the release. So you're talking somewhere around August September timeframe around when it gets releases released ahead of Essence so that for all, anybody that picks up their copy at Essence, the Teach and Playthrough will already be out there on the uh, in the ether on YouTube and such. Excellent. So awesome. Um, hopefully you and I get a chance to sit down and have a long form interview to be able to talk background and how you got into designing and and everything that goes into it. And so I would like to be able to do that. And if we can make that happen, that'd be great.
1: Sure, I'd love, I'd love to do that.
0: All right, well, I appreciate you taking the time, Matt. And uh, yeah, enjoy the rest of uh, Origins, man. Huh? Awesome, thanks everyone. All right, thank you.